Welcome to the Thinnest Veil Podcast, a place where we talk about spirituality, ceremony, religion, and connection. This is a podcast where we explore storytelling, the big mother's Mary and Mother Earth, social justice Jesus, magic, sermonizing, intuition, and so much more. I am your host, Dr. Melissa Bird, a clairvoyant lay preaching Christian witch with a penchant for fast cars and living in infinite potential. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me again uh, for my podcast, The Thinnest Veil. I am so, so, so excited um, that I am introducing you today to the Reverend Jennifer Hawks. Um, I got introduced to Jennifer through um, and through her work with um, her organization, um, because I was reading around about religious leaders and um, and their work with Christian nationalism and um, talking about Christianity in a completely different way than I'd ever seen it before. So I'm really, really excited about the work that Jennifer is doing on religious liberty and also working to really address issues that come with this rise of Christian nationalism. So um, Jennifer, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for the invitation. I'm, I'm I'm excited for the conversation. Me too. So could you tell uh, my listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, as as you mentioned, I'm, I do have the title Reverend. I was ordained by my local Baptist church. Um, some people call me Reverend Hawks, but it's not something I, I ever insist upon. Um, and, but I am, I am an ordained attorney is the shorthand way to say it. So um, I, I went to law school first and uh, and worked a little bit in the legal field. And at the time, I really felt a calling to both seminary and law school, but um, it wasn't a joint degree that that we had in, in, in the early 2000s. Um, so I went to law school first and um, and I went to law school because of Micah 6.8, that what are we commanded to do, but to do justice. And I figured if doing justice is part of our command, some of us should be trained in the law. There are other ways to, to, to do justice, but that was my slice of it. Um, but the, the desire for seminary and deeper theological education never went away. So, um, so I, I, I ended up going to seminary thinking I would just keep working in the legal world and just be a really good small group teacher at, at, at my church or a, you know, a, a lay council member or, member or something. Um, and then I learned about BJC and, and uh, BJC is the only faith-based group in DC that's dedicated solely to the issue of religious freedom and the, 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 and protecting um, separation of church and state. Um, and so it was a fascinating mission that combines my, my law um, degree and, and my um, seminary training. And, um, and so I was so excited when a position opened up and I was able to move to DC uh, to, to, to join this fabulous organization. And, you know, I get to spend my days defending and extending religious freedom for all. So there, there's not, not much better I can think of that, that, that one might want to do. So I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, I've, I've been in this work for a little more than eight years and, um, but BJC has been doing this since the mid thirties. So, so we have a long track record um, and it's um, a, Fortunate or unfortunately, a lot of the issues that we've worked on in the past tend to tend to recycle back, so, so we can pull back um, and 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 uh, learn from what we've done before. And Christian nationalism is one of those issues. It's not a new issue. It's been with us for a long time. We have fought different different iterations of it, um, but we now have a label for for that ideology, and and that is Christian nationalism. Yeah. 
It's, it's a scary thing. We're going to dig into that in just a second. But I had a question that just when I was listening to you talk, particularly about how beautiful and synchronous it is that your background just kind of came together for this work that you're doing right now. One of the things that I noticed, I used to be, I'm a former lobbyist um, and I worked in Utah when I was a lobbyist. And one of the things that I really noticed is how much people don't understand about what religious freedom means or the separation of church and state. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how BJC does its work since you've been doing it since the 30s. What, what do you wish people really understood about the separation of church and state and also this idea of religious freedom? One thing I wish people understood more or understood more, more deeply is that separation of church and state is good for the church. Um, whenever the state tries to tries to take over the church and tries to tell us what to do or how to be a Christian or or any other uh, religious tradition, um, that that religious tradition is diminished um, and eventually it becomes so watered down that it's it's no longer effective. Uh, one of our old sayings, I think it was you know from the eighties, um, is that for my uh, if if you're not allowed to say no, then my yes is meaningless. So I have made active choices to be a religious person. I've become ordained. I went to seminary. I attend my church almost weekly. Um, I'm involved in handbells and, and other activities at, at my local church. But if, if the U.S. was a country that required you to be Christian or at least pay lip service to Christianity, then the fact that I want to be a Christian and that I want to express my faith through my local church body, it, that decision would, would count for nothing because I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to say no. So defending the right of someone to reject Christianity is, is, is also part of protecting my ability to say yes to Christianity. I think that is so important. I, for any religion, right? Like I think that uh, the sorry, I was hearing a little echo of myself and it was throwing me off a little bit. I think that one of the things that is so powerful about that is is this acknowledgement that the separation of church and state and religious liberty is not just about Christianity, but we keep trying to pull it back to that. And the idea that you can accept or reject any religion, because that is your fundamental right to do so in this country, I think is where people get a little bit lost in the weeds. Um, and I think it's, you know, I've noticed that it's also this place where people fall back on, do you, when you do your work, you're not just defending Christianity. Correct. I mean, we, we, we uh, our, our, our tagline is faith, freedom for all. We've also done um, defend and extend religious freedom for all. Um, and the all is really important to us. Um, and that 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 all encompasses uh, minority expressions of Christianity, but also expressions of religion that are not Christian and also um, expressions of a worldview that is not based in it, in any religion. Um, and we are very proud of our of our partnerships across the theological spectrum, across the political spectrum. Um, because it, it, we really are a pluralistic nation, um, and religious freedom is one of our core identifying beliefs as Americans. Um, I'm fortunate that in the Baptist DNA, religious freedom for all people was, was, was built in, um, you know, some of our earliest leaders spoke of the need not only for Baptists to have freedom, but also Muslims and Jews and atheists, um, to, to have those freedoms. Um, and, and so for a long time, we have 400 years of, of history of advocating for religious freedom for all people. And, you know, so I'm, I'm blessed to be able to, to be a part of BJC's piece of that, of that Baptist advocacy. 
That's awesome. So can you talk to folks a little bit about Christian nationalism, what it is, why, um, I mean, I can talk about what it is from my own perspective, but, and I think that for me, like I grew up in Utah, I went to the Jewish community center for preschool, not because I'm Jewish, but because it was the best preschool and my mom wanted me to go there. Um, I ended up going back and teaching there. Um, as an adult, as a preschool teacher, and my old preschool teacher, uh, Miss Mary, <laughs> uh, was my boss. She <laughs> was mm. so. It was such a funny, full circle. Full um, circle, yeah. But I never realized what it meant to be in that building and the security, right? And it it, it hadn't occurred to me why security was important um, at the JCC. And I remember going to meet a friend of mine who worked at the JCC in Los Angeles as an adult and having bomb dogs come and sniff my car and have them put mirrors underneath my car. And it, it didn't even, I was like, what the heck? And then I realized where I was. I mean, cause to me, I'm just going to meet my friend Bonnie for lunch. Right. Yeah. And it was, but it's those little tiny things that I have taken so much for granted because of my ability to wander around the world. And those are just the little personal anecdotes I have about Christian nationalism and the fear of it um, and how it has played out just a little bit in my life. But because I remember the security when I was in preschool, but I remember thinking nothing of it, like, oh, that's just what they do. So <laughs> could you talk a little bit about Christian nationalism and why, not just as an attorney, but also as a Christian? you feel like it's so important to defend against it? So Christian nationalism is a political ideology that seeks to merge Christian and American identities, basically saying um, to be a good Christian, you have to be an American, and to be a good American, you have to be a Christian, and typically a Christian with a certain set of political beliefs. Um, and it is, it's, as I, as I alluded to earlier, it's something that's been with our country for, from the beginning, and, and we have seen We've seen it rise and fall, and um, and in 2019, um, BJC started the Christians Against Christian Nationalism campaign, and at that time, the phrase Christian nationalism was really used primarily in academic circles, um, you know, in in, in 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 discussing this very virulent form of of patriotism mixed with um, with religious ideology, um, and. But we convened a group in our office, an interfaith group, uh, because we had seen the shootings at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston. We had seen the shootings at, at Tree of Life in, in Pittsburgh. Um, we had also seen the uh, shooting at another house of worship, the Chabot of Poe in California. And so we were starting to see a very violent form of what we now call Christian nationalism. And if you look at those shooters' manifestos, many of them are filled with with Christian imagery and Christian language and how they're standing up for Christian values. And um, and it was, it was something that we knew the religious freedom community needed to address. Because if nothing else, religious freedom in the United States should mean that you can gather with like-minded believers and engage in corporate worship without fear of dying in your house of worship at a very just very basic level like that should be a given for everyone um and so we gathered in our offices and everyone agreed that yes this is you know this is a problem that we as a community should should be standing up and addressing but all of the non-christian groups around the table said this is this is definitely an issue that you christians need to lead on it's not safe for us to do so 
And it broke my heart because these are people that I have worked with on a number of issues, some of them very controversial. Um, and I'd never heard any fear of safety or personal safety, you know, in, involved involved in that advocacy. Um, but, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and figure out that, that they were right. So so we listened to them. Um, we we took their guidance and we reconvened a Christian only group. And BJC prefers to work in a, a multi-faith context. So um, it, it, anytime we do a Christian only project, then something, you know, so, something has happened or, you know, th there's definitely a specific reason for that. Um, and so we reconvened and talked about the problem and, and, um, and, and we see Christian nationalism as a threat to the church, but also as a threat to our American democracy. Um, and, and, and so we wanted to tackle it head on. Um, and so we named the campaign Christians Against Christian Nationalism, just to be very direct, very upfront. Um, the term Christian nationalism is now used a lot more in the media, and, and our, our campaign has been referenced um, many times in, in, in different outlets. Um, but our statement that we want Christians to sign is what we're for. So it, it's basically it's eight principles of things that we are for, um, because you also need to be for something. And, and, so that, and so that's what we want to rally people around. It's not a partisan statement. It's not trying to settle differences within Christianity. We're not trying to settle the great Catholic Protestant divides. We're not trying to, um, you know, say Baptists are better than, you know, Quakers or any other division within Christianity. There's a lot of beautiful diversity within Christianity, and we are not trying to settle those debates with this. We are just trying to draw a line and say this thing over here that sounds like us is not us. Um, and that's the real danger to the church of Christian nationalism is that it takes the symbols and the language of Christianity, but instead of pointing to the gospel of love, it points to a gospel of power. I love what you just said about those things that sounds like us is not us. Um, I think it is one of the things that I've really struggled with coming to Christianity very late in my life. I mean, I only started going to church when I was 43. Um, I was not raised in church. Um, I'm Native American. And so I had a lot of conflict about that, um, particularly growing up in Utah um, because of the conflict between the indigenous people of Utah, particularly my tribe in particular and the Mormon pioneers. And so I had always had a lot of just so much internalized conflict about religion and Christianity. And I love, and I love Jesus. Oh my heck. When I started going to church, I was like, ah, so good. I don't understand where I've been this whole time, but I'm really glad I'm here now. And, and part of it is that gospel of love that you're talking about. And it, it's the thing that I wish more people understood about Christianity and the Bible is this just such a beautiful, incredible gospel of love and connection and faith and spirit. And that is all of these th things done in the name of Christianity just break my heart because, and, and you alluded to it, this, the idea of using Christianity as a form of power. I interviewed um, a gentleman, um, his name uh, is um, Jason and Jason Young, and he, he was talking about his experience. Um, he's an LGBT activist and he was talking about his experience growing up Catholic and just all of his experiences around religion and spirituality. And we really got into this idea that we all have these different practices. It doesn't matter what our religious background is. They all kind of are the same thing. 
right? That we can come together in this commonality of ritual. Like the chanting is not about the words. The singing is not about the words. It's about the sound and the how we connect to spirit, whether we call it God or the universe or something else, how we're connecting to that thing that's bigger than us does come from a space of love. And um, I wonder if there's a place for connection for people who aren't Christian, where we can come together on that, that level playing field of compassion and love and connection. And I wonder if you've ever thought about that in your work with the BJC or the work that you've been doing to help people understand these issues a little bit better. Um, I don't know that I've thought about it exactly in those terms, um, but I mean, we definitely see our work um, in in the public square in, in a multi-faith context and that there has to be room for everyone at the table um, because you know, if not, if the government is ever allowed to say this is good religion, this is bad religion, one day you might find yourself on the on the wrong list, and yeah. and that and and that could change over time. Um, so so it's important that we keep government out of these religious fights. That's not to say there's not still genuine fights within religion, um, and and that you know when I put on my theologian hat, you know I, I'm I, I am pro women in ministry and and ordination and all of those things. And I, I am more than willing to debate with that person who says it's sinful for me to be ordained. Um, but I don't want the government making that decision for us. I, I don't want the government deciding which one of us is right. That, that, that's a theological conversation that we need to have and, 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 and dialogue partners. Um, and so I think that's really where we, where we seat our work is, is having room for diversity and having room for this uh, pluralism and and the ability to disagree with one another. Yeah. Um, it, it's messy. It's not always fun. Um, but again, if the government is able to come in and start deciding good and bad religion or good and bad Christianity, um, you know, then it, we have a whole new set of problems that are going to be so much worse. And I, I think that's part of why Baptists can come to this work a, a little more naturally, perhaps, um, is that our, our our church polity is based in dissent and disagreement. You know, we, we were founded in the early 1600s and within four years had our first Baptist split, you know, so um, so so we are used to disagreement. We are used to, to talking a, a, across those lines. Um, and so we want everyone to be able to bring their full self into the public square, bring your religious self, bring your business self, bring your uh, family self, br bring your volunteer self, you know, whatever expressions of your identity, however they work out, you should be able to bring all of those to the public square to engage in conversation and dialogue. And we are a better country when we are, are able to do that. I love what you said about disagreement, because I think so often people think that we're not allowed to have these conversations. Like we have to be able to come together and agree on things. And what, what I love about doing the work that I do is being able to find the commonalities like love and compassion to be able to come together and have conversations, even if we don't agree theologically about some of these things. And I think that is such an important distinction that that what you're talking about is welcoming people to come in and have these really difficult conversations about what this means. Because, and I think that's really what's missing right now in, in the country is like, we're not willing to, to sit down together and be like, actually, I don't agree with you, but here's where I think we could possibly come together. Mm -hmm. It's also, it's hard because if you're going to disagree with a 
point to dialogue. You can disagree just to be disagreeable. And that's, that's easy to do, you know, but if you're wanting to dialogue, if you're wanting to advance the conversation, if you're wanting to remain in relationship with this person or, 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 or this entity, it can be hard to stand up and say, no, I don't think you're right on this. And, and I disagree with that. Um, it, it, it causes you to have to be vulnerable, um, has, you know, causes you to perhaps you're the first person to raise this point. Um, and so you might be alone in, in raising it and everyone else might disagree with you. Um, and so it, so yeah, it, it's hard to do and it's really hard to do in our current partisan uh, political environment. Um, and it, and it, it, it's easy to stand up to, to the other side. I have so much respect for people who stand up to their own party um, because that that's where the rubber really hits the road is that, you know, we can agree on 95% of our political agenda, but there's this 5% that I think we should tweak. Um, and those people who are willing to, to, to go it alone and call their call their party, call their elected officials, the people they voted for, you know, to, 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 to consider a, a different path. I, I think those are some of the most heroic people in our current uh, partisan environment. I totally agree. I'm so passionate about those people finding their voice and just really people finding their voice and saying, actually, no, this is not okay with me. And I hired you to do a job because I elected you to do this job. And here's what I need you to know. I just think they're so, I've, I've seen it a thousand times. It's so powerful. It's so great. Uh, Jennifer, I just one last question. Um, if you, if you were sitting in a room of people who, who didn't understand this, who like didn't understand religious freedom, who didn't understand Christian nationalism and how dangerous it is for all of us, not just certain people. Um, what is the one thing you would tell them? One thing I would tell them is to be open to conversation. So BJC puts out a lot of resources and I would want you to educate yourself. Um, uh, we, we worked with Freedom From Religion Foundation to create a, a report on, Janu on Christian nationalism as, as it was present in the January 6th insurrection. Um, and, you know, so there are very violent forms of Christian nationalism, but there's also very soft forms. And it's those soft forms that we really, I think, can have a lot of agreement and, and can make a real difference because it's those soft forms that, that, give, that give an opening to the January 6th of the world. Um, and so, you know, I, I would want people to be open and to be willing to, to be in conversation. I, I, I love a good dialogue partner. Um, and, you know, I, I love the people who are coming to our campaign who have never heard of BJC before. Um, but, but they come to us and they support the work and, 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 and they challenge us. And, um, you know, so we can make a difference in our societies. We can be advocates. Um, but we have to be open. We have to be able to listen and we have to um, be, be able to learn from one another. I love that so much. I teach a process called the art of the graceful revolution. And it's really about moving away, like listening to that internal intuition inside of us that moves us away from constantly feeling like the way to make a change is to argue and to fight and to protest and to, you know, pump our fists and really get internal and listen to our spirit and listen to what the voice of God tells us and, and how mm -hmm. we can have grace for ourselves and other people. And so that really resonates so deeply with me with this idea of finding the soft forms of Christian nationalism, because that's where the shift is and that's where the change is. And I think that's just really very profoundly beautiful and so resonant of the work I do. So thanks for that. That was really nice. 
Thank you so much for joining me. We're going to put links uh, to the the to BJC in the show notes so that people can connect with the um, the work that you're doing in the world. And I'm just really, really grateful to you for doing it. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. Um, everyone who's listening, thank you so much for being here. If you haven't done so yet, go ahead and go to my website at www.drmelissabird.com and sign up for my newsletter where you get weekly love notes from me every week. And it's really delightful. Jennifer, thanks again for joining me. Thank you, Melissa. this episode as much as I did. Please share it with your best friend on the planet. If you are loving this podcast and want to connect more, head on over to my website at www.drmelissabird.com and sign up for my free workshop, The Five Tributaries of Perfection, The Lies We Tell Ourselves. Don't forget to add me at birdgirl1001 on all the socials for daily doses of love, magic, and inspiration. And I'll see you soon.